Yo ho ho, it's time to go Back to the dungeon far below Players arrive in time to die Man, I love to watch them cry Grab some dice, grab some fun Join the teachers in the dungeon everybody and welcome to Teachers in the Dungeon. I am Tom Gross, co-host and co-creator of Teachers in the Dungeon. I am joined by my friend Dan Ream, also co-host and co-creator. Dan, how are you this evening? Good. Good to be here. Excited to do this interview. I think this is going to be a good one. Excellent. Excellent. Then you mentioned an interview, so it's not an interview between you and I. We're going to bring some intelligence to the show and some <laughs> rational thoughts. So let me introduce to you, uh, not your first time on Teachers in the Dungeon. This is Andrew Kaywood of Kaywood Publishing. Good evening. Hey, guys. Glad to have you on the show again. I know that it's been a busy beginning to the 2023 year for you in your publishing business. A lot has happened here in the first few weeks and talking about specifically the um, Wizards of the Coast leaks and explanations and so forth of the open gaming license and the modifications or complete retraction thereof. And so last weekend or last week, Dan and I broke it down with our thoughts and opinions. But you were one of the first people I thought of when these leaks and discussions started happening. And being an independent publisher of 5e products, Tell us a little bit about how this has impacted or could impact you and Kwood Publishing moving forward. Sure, yeah. It's been, uh, as you said, quite a whirlwind. However, a lot of people had a feeling about something like this coming along, uh, including myself. Hmm. Um, you could see the changes that were happening, um, kind of, especially last fall. A lot of staff got moved out and new people were brought in. All of a sudden, there was a concentration on the um, Wizards of the Coast product as far as the big company, their big company was concerned. So you kind of knew, you kind of had some idea of what was coming. And they did put out some information that the not much was going to change. That's sort of the general information that they'd given out at that point. And we knew, so we've been doing this for seven years now. We knew when we started that if we were signing using this license, that there were certain elements of that that we'd have to deal with. Like we're in a certain way, we were tying ourselves to this big company. And most of actually what we made is not is not part of the OGL. Most of our world of Mir and most of our adventures really doesn't use the OGL. The place where it becomes an issue is our monster series, which also happens to be our most popular series. And um, <laughs> so we had to make a decision about whether or not we wanted to continue to use an OGL or find a different way, a, a different path ahead. A lot of the issues come up around the fact that it doesn't look like game mechanics can be copyrighted in the United States. And it's, it might even be more complicated because we're actually based in Canada. But in the U.S., it, it looks like that's what would happen. For example, with Monopoly, there are many board games that use the same game mechanics where you have a token and you move around a board and you use cards. But the way the mechanics are presented is copyright. So nobody could copy their board for 
et cetera. So the same thing could happen with this, where the mechanics might not be able to be copyrighted, but the way they're presented could be. And one way is the stat block, which is used in this game, and it has been used from the beginning of D&D to represent the math part, uh, the mechanics of the monster. So that's the that's the issue. And nobody knows for sure how that mm. legally would work if you weren't covered under a license. And so what some of the big third-party companies have decided is we're just going to do our own thing. We're going to go our own way. A few of them have already got some 5e products, you know, on the rack and ready to go, and they're going to keep finishing those off. And we'd actually just finished writing our booklet for our next monster book for the sixth one. Oh. And so each book we have, we basically write a chapter of the book and then we now present that as a free download as part of the Kickstarter. And then people have an idea of what the book's going to be like. So we'd finished that. And then we had to decide, well, are we going to rewrite this entire booklet? Pull out all the mm. SRD information? So that's what we've decided to do and that's what we've done. And it's it's finished. Oh, oh, I see. That revision was the work of just the last couple of weeks then? or Yeah, it took me about two weeks. I worked a bit with our artist. I usually involve who Travis Hansen, who works with us quite a bit kind of in the bigger, when I'm making bigger decisions about this series, because he's been such a huge part of it, every single image in the books is from him. We've And he's actually responsible. We talked before when I was on the show about the city book, about how he and I worked together with the idea of sins and virtues. Mm-hmm. It was originally his idea just to have sins. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a great idea, tie them into this city book. And then I said, my input was let's have virtues as well. So we worked we worked together a lot on like the really key core parts of the book and then he is the more you know he's the visual guy and then I'm the designer and so with the last 2 weeks we've had a you know the first time when everything broke he and I sat you know we sat and talked he's in California I'm here in BC and we talked for like 2 or 3 hours about what are we going to do and how are we going to shift and so yeah, that's what we've decided. And so now I have two versions of the book, uh, you know, of the booklet. I have the 5e version the, with the old OGL, and then I have this new open RPG version, which has been a creative challenge. <laughs> yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about that. Are you referring to the project that is has been out on social media that's Project Black Flag? Is that is that what you're referring to? Not, no, I... Basically, what we what we did is we totally, you know, respect and like what uh, a few of the third party companies have done, and mm-hmm. we join them in that sort of black flag protest of saying we we want an open system. But we have we were interested in seeing what Paizo and some other companies come up with, and we're we're talking to them about what they're doing, and we would consider that in the future. But right now, the turnaround is much too fast because we were planning on putting this new Kickstarter out next month. So Mm. at this point, we've decided we're going to do our own thing and we're going to make content that could be used for D&D or Pathfinder or like even old school RPGs. Well, given away your secrets, how do you design a monster to be able to be inserted into any of those systems? 
Right. Good. Really good question. And that's what I've been working with for two weeks. <laughs> so a lot of it is, so the bio of the monster really doesn't change very much at all. Uh, that's that's the same in every system for the most part. But what you can do is find other ways to present the key. What you want is the key information for the game masters and for the, the DMs, right? So you want some kind of way, some kind of format for armor class, that, something like that, the way the creature's protecting itself. You want their health or hit points. You want what kind of attacks do they have? How much damage would that do approximately? What access do they have to magic? So there's ways that you can present those, those concepts and those features of the creature without using a traditional D&D stat block. There are now there has to be some sort of balance there, right? Because it's fine to say these things thematically and for the role-playing side of it, but you need some of that crunch. You need some of that connection as a DM, as a game master to the rules. Mm -hmm. So what we've tried to do is basically we have a chart in the front of this new book where those really key basic points like uh, health, uh, number of attacks, attack damage, we have a table to sort of list those and we don't use the 1D2020 system even, but we say that this could be adjusted. So you could use a 1D, 1D6 system, 1D10, 1D20. We're trying to do it in a way that it could be flexible. And, you know, I think we've got, there were some really challenging things. I got, the hardest thing I found was how am I going to talk about saving throws? And how am I going to talk about magic and skills? So the one thing we're going to do is we're just going to have our own spells. And some of them might be similar to spells in other RPGs. But at the back of this book, we'll have a little spell book that's going to explain what these spells do. And we're, gonna, we're giving our own skills to these creatures. And we'll have a little skill book to show, okay, what these are. And some of them might be similar, but they're not exactly the same. That's, I, you know, I really like the the sound of that because it's it's super inclusive to anybody that plays any type of game. They, they're able to take your ideas and thoughts and your creativity right. and apply it to a variety of different things or uh, uh, game systems. That's, that's yeah. I really, I really like the sound of that. I think I want to go the direction of, so So we are recording on the day, this is January 19th, and this day around 4 o'clock, 3 o'clock Central Time on D&D Beyond, they announced the Open Gaming License 1.2 mm -hmm. as a draft. And yesterday or the day before that, they had Kyle Brink had written a letter saying that they are wanting to go the route of of more transparency, putting things out there, allowing feedback from the community. I mean, I'm pretty sure the Dungeons and Dragons community has given plenty of feedback. They probably they probably cringe slightly when they say we want your feedback, but I, you know, mm -hmm. whether whether the, the truth or not, it's but that's what they've asked for. They want the feedback. And so if you don't mind, I think I'd like to go through some of the highlights of that and see how this adjusts your your last two weeks. If it, if it changes anything, if it changes everything, I have no idea. So this is just the breakdown that they set, they set out. 
-hmm. they said the first major thing is the D&D core mechanics moves out of their license to a Creative Commons license, Mm -hmm. which being a librarian, I have some familiarity with that, that basically that, that takes it out of their hands. And once they make that move, they, their, their control is what type of Creative Commons license can, it can go to. But then once that's out of their hands, the non-for-profit Creative Commons organization is now in control of that. So that's the first thing. Second, I'm going to use their language here. They say quintessentially D&D content, such as an owlbear or magic missile in the Open Gaming License 1.2 will provide a perpetual, irrevocable license to do so. I feel like I missed a word in there someplace, but that's that's where that's what I wrote down there. So that is the second piece that they put out there. The next items or the next presentation piece was how is the 1.2 different from 1.0? The first is, and they they'd stated this from when they did break their silence, that one of their core values is they are looking at this as one point to allow wizards to address hateful content and give them some control to say that's that's not appropriate to be used with our our name our system mm-hmm. second is they say it only applies to ttrpg and virtual tabletop mm-hmm. the 1.2 will and then specifically includes the word irrevocable so then there's one more thing and then i want to turn it over to you to sort of respond to this from your point of view they say then next what is not in there they have a list. No royalties, mm-hmm. no financial reporting, no license back, no registration, no distinction between commercial and non-commercial. Now, I may have left a few things out that they had in there, but these were the things that really resonated with me and their message. And yeah. full disclosure, I did not read the entire document. I was just pulling it for tonight's conversation. So those are the high points. What does this do for you? And again, draft, lots of feedback left. So what does it do for you for the conversations you've been having the last two weeks? And or what sorts of input would you give to them to make adjustments to this in light of a third-party creator? Yeah, so at this point, I'm I'm still very hesitant to signing on to a new license, which basically is what this is. It's saying... They're saying they're getting rid of 1.0, although all your products made with 1.0 are fine, which mm-hmm. is a which is a big relief because that at <laughs> one point in the last two weeks, there was a possibility that was all going away. So we're very, yeah, very hesitant still because they do say that, you know, you talked about the creative common process and yes, mechanics may be now freed up. However, there's still the issue about the trade dress, like which again is the, on- the only thing it really impacts us with is the monster series. We're, we plan on making adventures starting this year and working with our World of Mirror mm-hmm. setting. Now those two types of books, they don't need the OGL at all. Like I don't, mm-hmm. we don't need to put any mechanics in there. It's very easy, I think, to do that. So it's really the monster series book. So I'm not sure again about the trade dress, about how that's going to work, about the the stat blocks. Yeah. And then the SRD, it's actually not that, it's not that key to us. I mean, there's only about 10 or 12 monsters that are actually D&D monsters Hmm. that are actually their property. The SRD for the most part contains a lot of 
items that you could make your own versions of. Like there's lots of, you know, we've made our own magic items, for example. Um, you could easily make your own classes and your your versions of classes and races. And that's not that big of a deal to make sure that we have access to that. For me, I don't, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, a lot of it is monsters and we're making our own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we don't need the old ones. And then the then there's the issue about this sort of morality clause or saying that and this seems to be at the front of all of their their PR. <laughs> and it's it seems like gaslighting. It seems right. like virtue signaling because I played this game since about 78 or 79. And I cannot remember seeing very much hateful or racist work. Like the only things, ironically, the only things I can think of are the recent s- slave space monkeys, which was kind of a, seemed like a questionable choice, which were put out by <laughs> wizards. And the other time I was, I thought it was a bit inappropriate was when they did the Strahd adventure that the, I, I think the gypsy people they have in that adventure are too close to a real world group, in my opinion. Oh. And that that seems insensitive. Like, and yes, back in the day, there was definitely some language like back in the 70s and maybe some treatment of certain groups of people. Sometimes the language was awkward or, or not well thought out. However, it wasn't malicious. And this idea that there's like this threat of hateful content and that mm. this is a big issue, this idea, all these idea of some of the, certain segments of the fan base or the RPG community about safety. I'm not sure where that's coming from because I don't think it's actually there. (laughs) (laughs) I had kind of, that was something that occurred to me and don't the original OGL, does that give them any power to go after people that put up hateful conduct content anyway? Um, I don't think, I don't think there's anything like this sort of clause in there, but this goes further than that. This is like, you know, they decide if what you've made is somehow inappropriate. And these definitions are extremely broad. There's a lot of people who find that, um, you know, very controlling and none of these third party companies that I know are making any kind of like uh, any product that I would think is hateful or racist or sexist like you know it's a different world where the creators now we have you know our backers and followers and customers can have access to us and talk to us and mm-hmm. i think to to make that sort of product now the market would decide pretty quickly that this is not okay and right you know and people know like you know it's it's a much more transparent world like for creatives like for artists and writers, like it's a different, a whole different world than the 70s and 80s when the game started. But one of the reasons I've loved this game for so long and played it for so long is that, you know, that's not part of the game. You know, it's it's never it's never been an issue. Um, even this idea that, oh, people have been excluded from the game, that's it's really ironic because it was a group of people who were outsiders who started playing it. <laughs> <laughs> and we would have loved to have more, for example, more girls playing back then or just more people in general. It was so hard to find players. Yeah. 
So yeah, so far I haven't seen enough that we would change our minds, but we have, we can't just wait around to see, you know, a final draft or especially when things have changed so much, like right. there doesn't seem to be right. any plan. So we're going to go ahead with our own plan. We're going to obviously watch what's going on. I'm very interested. And as um, I think Tom was the one who said that, you know, what about these other companies, what they're doing? And mm -hmm. um, we're going to watch it. We're interested. And um, we'd love, for example, to have something that was as open as this old license was. And for we'd love mm -hmm. to work with more like other companies and help each other. I don't want to get too into the weeds here, but I look at this and I, you're going to know a lot more about wizards than we do, but I look at this whole debacle and I think, how, how do high paid executives make these decisions and do this, this, as you said, it seems so chaotic and not thought out. Do you have any, just any inkling of what, what triggered this or why this happened so badly or what, what went wrong with it? Yeah, I have an idea because as I said, last fall, a lot, well, in the last, I'd say the last five or 10 years, a lot of the regular staff from that company had, had there was a big changeover. The staff got a lot younger. A lot of the experienced people were gone. And this fall, some more of the older group had left experienced, really experienced people. And I'm pretty sure that's when a lot of the, the new management got moved in who are more from a, a corporate and video game background. So what it appears to me is there's kind of a clash going on between the creative people there and the corporate management. That's what it appears to me. And that, that would explain why it seems to be all over the place because the draft that was leaked seems pretty legit. I mean, who would fake a 9,000 word <laughs> legal document? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. And right. for a long time, our company didn't make any statement about what we were going to do because it was just rumors. Right. Um, yeah. But it's been a very, I mean, it's a really wild two weeks, uh, like you said you do have to wonder, yeah, who's in charge and what is the plan? Even now, it still seems fairly chaotic. Well, and even, even from the standpoint of corporates, I can't believe they put out such a sloppy document. I mean, I don't, I don't know legalese, and I was looking at this thinking, they, this would give them the right to take anything they want from anybody. How could they think this was, people were just going to say, yeah, that's great. I, it just seems so badly thought out start to finish. Yeah. Yeah, unless there's a big plan about trying to subvert the printed material and push everything to a virtual platform, that might have been part of uh, the plan. But I don't think they understand the community that well then because there's a lot of people in the community no. who like the printed word. Yep. And the heart of the game is actually people around a table or people now on platforms online, but they're still together. And I don't think they're going to be able to turn this into a video game. Yeah, let's, well, let's hope not. Know, to, and one small thing, just to circle back to the, you know, we want everybody to be included. I mean, that's another thing where you speak of gaslighting. And I think that's the beauty of this game is mm -hmm. any group 
of any type of people can buy a book, go to their basement and play. It's, uh, it's the most inclusive thing there is, you know? Yeah. The one good thing I can see coming out of this is that it has woken everybody up, first of all, which I think is always a good thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone is paying attention. I mean, obviously, there's going to be challenges if certain small companies are chased out of out of the market and, you know, some really creative people with good ideas might not be involved. But the other good side is that more people might take a look at other kinds of games. They might take a look at material that is open for different kinds of games. I know we're taking right. a chance with our path where we're going to try to make basically system agnostic material, which still can be used for D&D, but can be used for other games. We're also trying to make material that people who don't even play role-playing games might be interested in. Mm. We know we already have readers who get the Monster Series for that. They don't play RPGs at all, and they just like the stories and the creatures and Travis's art. So hopefully one one thing this does is wakes people up. I mean, even myself, I, you know partly because of time constraints, but I never really tried many other games. And now I'm playing Traveler, which I, I always wanted to play. And since, you know, probably since 1980. And it is amazing. Yeah, a fantastic game. So hopefully more people will try more games and maybe more companies will make, you know, more products. And there is another side to this where, yeah, I don't think it's all, it's not all doom and gloom. Well, I, you took the words right out of my mouth because my last question before the break was going to be, what's the good to come out of this? And I think even last week, Dan, you and I had talked about like, what, where does this go from here? And that was exactly our thoughts as well. It, it, it diversifies the gaming community. The concern mm-hmm. is that you split the gaming community, but you know what? You know, it, it really didn't matter, you know, because when 4E came out, I moved over to Paizo's Pathfinder for several years. And I still kept in touch with my Dungeons and Dragons friends. Some came with me, some did both. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. If we get some people doing Starfinder and we do get some people playing in your world of Mur, and we get some people doing a, a, a Greyhawk or a, a Dragonlance or something, what, what's the harm in that? In fact, mm-hmm. I think that that just expands our thinking as gamers that we we can see the multiple worlds and those people that are super creative and have that potential, especially, you know, we we are teachers and we work with students all the time. I think them being able to see multiple, multiple game systems, multiple worlds and and and, and create their imagination in those areas, that's only going to help in the long run. Before we head to a break, Dan, we got a, a nice email from last week's show that we were going to share today. And so I want to give you that chance before we head to our break. Sure. Just longtime listener, uh, Jason, yes, and really just sort of chimed in to the, the concerns we had. It does tie into what we were just talking about here, the fears that, uh, that this might fragment the D&D community. So Jason, thanks for for kind of chiming in on that. And I said in last week's episode, I just felt kind of bad because I, I feel like I'm late to the party anyway, jumping into D&D fairly recently and it's it's already fragmenting. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping that, that your view of this, this community is, is the one that holds true, that in spite of the different systems, 
you know, there, there will still be sort of a sense of community here. Yeah, Jason, thank you so much for that email. And to all, everyone else listening, if you've got some feedback or you want to share some stories with us, it's always teachersinthedungeon at gmail.com or reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We're going to be right back talking about some more fun things with Andrew. He's got a book that is just released and a Kickstarter that's to come out pretty soon. So stick with us. Teachers in the Dungeon, we'll be right back. And we are back on Teachers in the Dungeon. I'm Tom Gross with Dan Ream. We're talking with Andrew Kaywood of Kaywood Publishing. And Andrew, you mentioned in the first part of this episode, your Monsters uh, series of books. And you have one that is recently released, Monsters of the Feyland 2. Got a chance to look at that book today. And it's like all of your other books, the art in there is beautiful. The writing is concise and really creative. I like I like the looks and the sounds and 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 everything. To give everyone an idea, I'm just going to give just a smidge uh, description of what you find when you go to the table of contents, and maybe a little bit after that. And then I want to open up and t- have you talk about some of your favorite aspects of Monsters of the Feywild too. So when I hit the table of contents, I noted that it is not a straight A to Z description of monsters. You have them broken down into seven regions of the Feywild. You have the Everwood, the Sugarwind Mountains, the Great Tree, Whims of Town, or I'm sorry, Whims Town, Lush Wild, the Darklands, and the Ivory Tower. And inside each of those, you have some very specialized characters or characters my apologies monsters you know when you're the dm they're your characters yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about this book where it came from and just how how much fun or stress probably more fun was it writing this book <laughs> yeah it was uh it was a lot of fun um it really enabled uh, me to do what i wanted to do with since the first Feyland book and so that was the first book in the series. At that time, we, we did a couple of A to Z monster books to start. And since then, we've really done more campaign books. And I really wanted to add more and flesh out more, flesh out what Feyland is like, you know, give some maps and give more of the story. One of the big things is to try to, you know, we're always trying to make the book for as many people as possible. So we have, you know, two really general ways of using the book. One where you could have a lot of sort of fairy tale adventures and there could be lots of role play and lots of depth with the characters. The other side is there's like this epic war between the good court and the evil court in Feyland. Yeah, and that's sort of in some ways for the more combat focused uh, people like some of the, especially the old school gamers like myself mm-hmm. who like action in the story. Um, but this really gives you a lot of different um, ways of using Feyland. And, and a lot of these creatures, too, you wouldn't have to use them in Feyland. You could use them in forested areas or in other parts of your adventures. So this is just one way of presenting them. And we came up with a new story where Feyland's got even stranger. And we brought back some of the favorites, which were, were a surprise. We never thought that some of these would be the fa- the favored monsters. And so the creature like the frog, which returns in a much more powerful form than the first book. <laughs> yeah. And I hope you found the Bowie monster. There's always a Bowie monster in every book. <laughs> <laughs> I know Dan talked about that. <laughs> 
last time. That's um, I need to go back through. I, I didn't have okay. a chance to look all the way through it yet today, but I am I will now I know I, I won't stop until I find him. Yeah, yeah. And then the the Faye bargain section too, I'm really happy about. That was a stretch goal in the Kickstarter. So there's a whole section at the back about what kind of form a contract could be in with a fey creature, what it could entail. And then there's boons, like positive things that could have hap- could happen because of the deal, and then consequences because of the deal. And um, <laughs> yeah, I really, I really like that. I think that's a big part of dealing with the fey. Yeah, and then we had a lot of fun with the different, you know, the different areas of Feyland being permanently in different seasons. So, mm. for example, the mm. Darklands is permanently in autumn. So we've made that a very Halloween kind of uh, Tim Burton Halloween um, land. And then the Ivory Tower, which is sort of the the evil sort of where the you basically travel through Feyland as you go through these different um, regions and you eventually discover where the really, you know, the really big problem is. And uh, it's actually at the Ivory Tower. And you can you can read into that what you want, <laughs> and um, <laughs> reference to the, the first well half of, of the episode. <laughs> yeah, that's where the, exactly that's where the well of dreams uh, is, and and it's colder and it's like very intellectual. You know, the evil headquarters again is in the dark lands, this kind of barren land, and then the warm, beautiful summer. Uh, that's where the the good court's great tree is. There's a lot in there. You could just use one part of the Feyland. You could use the whole thing. You could have characters obviously going back and forth. There's lots of monster, like really big monster kind of uh, dangerous creatures. But then there's also, you know, there's the lunatic, which is just a small tick. Um, And there's, you know, people love the doubt trout in the first book. So, of course, this time we had to put in the self-doubt trout. Oh, yes. I like the whimsical nature of it. It fits perfectly for the Fae, that's for sure. Yeah. And Todd, I think I think next time we come back to Slight, I think these might be making an appearance. Oh, uh, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I I worry about that sometimes. And, and Andrew, you're not doing us any favors in our Slight adventure because you're giving him all sorts of wonderful ideas. No, that is that is fantastic. And I love that aspect about it. And that's what I've always liked about third party just in general mm-hmm. is, you know, players kind of get into, you know, they do some meta-thinking meta thinking because they, they're familiar with the Monster Manual. Yeah. And everybody has one or has access to one. But when you pull that, that Monsters, um, when I pull the, uh, sorry, I'm looking at the title, Monsters of the City, Sins and Virtues off the shelf. Mm-hmm. Or you pull the uh, Monsters of the Feyland two or one, or I know it's not titled one, but the first one or the, or two off of mm-hmm. the shelf and start digging through it. Hmm. They're not going to know what's coming at them. And you you can see the little gears in their heads going, what is this? <laughs> Where did this come from? So I love that aspect of this. And I want to talk a little bit about, oh, first I want to mention my favorite monster just in a very quick flip through here was the root of all evil. Oh, yeah. The first of all, the image caught my attention. The yeah. this this giant creature with the, the like ball like creature with the uh, tentacles going up above under the main ground, and then this, in this cavern down below. And the name, of course, 
made me kind of chuckle, the root of all evil, because I always think I know what that is, but now I know mm-hmm. what it is. <laughs> and uh, and sort of the way in which, like the way in which you could trap some characters because the way it moves through the earth and leaves that tunnel underneath there. And so I can mm-hmm. see a storyline forming there where you find these tunnels here and there someplace. And, you know, it, it's probably the root of all evil, but we better go find find out and make sure. <laughs> <laughs> so any any ideas or thoughts that came from that one that, that brought that character or that uh, monster to life? Sure. So yeah, I think I talked a little bit last time about the process of coming up with the monsters and it, mm-hmm. you know, it varies so much. And sometimes it's the name. And in that case, it was the name where I thought, oh, that is the perfect name for a monster. And I, I knew, and most of the time, I don't want to have too many really powerful creatures because players and are just not going to battle those creatures very much. But once in a while, I like to have you know a, f- a few of those in there, and this was one of those. And and I love the idea of creatures that could open up the world more for the DM to have other avenues to follow. So because this creature, I knew because it was a root, it's going to be underground. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's based, you know, there. It will come out, but it, that's where its world is. And it, that thing actually reminds me of the um, the creature in the movie Super 8, this alien creature with, where it has, spoiler alert, where it has a, a subterranean home. <laughs> and I like the idea of creatures that open up new spaces. So as you said, like it has these tunnels. Uh, we mentioned its home is a big cavern. And so now you've added another layer to the world where maybe the party gets down there. Like, and that sort of reminds me of Stranger Things too, where they're they're following mm. those monsters under the town. That gives a whole other level. And then maybe, you know, maybe enemies escape down there, or maybe even the party can use it as a way of getting away from something. Maybe there's other creatures that live down there, or it's a way to travel to another part of Feyland. I always like adding you know, having that other level of the story, not just the obvious, like there's a giant clown actually in the Darklands in this book called uh, Long Legs. He lives in this little hut that just sits in the barren lands. But if you open up the hut, if you go inside, it's this massive, immense building, sort of like the tent in Harry Potter, the magical tent. Mm. Um and I just love that idea of, of adding more space and more possibilities for the story for the DM to move and for the players to get involved in. And so whenever a monster can do that, I just want to follow it. Wow, he's really strong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just Yes, indeed, there is the clown. How did I miss that in my first browse through of this? Yeah. Wow. And of course, yeah. he's chaotic evil. What's a clown yeah. if they're not chaotic evil? But you know what? (laughs) I wanted to, I want to mention, I can't talk about a book without talking about the things that really bring the book to life. I mean, obviously words do that. And you mentioned the stat blocks and and all of that. But my eyes, and I think most people's eyes, are drawn to the images that are created. And you mentioned Travis, Mm -hmm. but I want to give you a chance to talk about Travis's work on this book. Because besides just the monster images... I love the full page where you have an image of the map of that world with some maybe features or layers or or things like that. And then you also have a couple other creators that are uh, cited on your page there. I want to give you a chance to talk about them. Sure, sure. Yeah. So uh, the other people involved, uh, Gordon McAlpin, 
has done the layout since Monsters of the City. He's really been a massive benefit to us and is so great to work with. He and Travis are both extraordinarily fast. Not only do they do, do good work, but they're incredibly fast at what they do because they're busy doing other projects. You would not believe the speed. Even Gordon doing the layout too. I cannot believe how fast he does it. And both are perfectionists, especially in layout. That's what you want. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, nice. so I love what he's done. He also does things like the video for the Kickstarter, helps with art direction. Gordon's very talented. And then Sarah Bagshaw was the other editor that was helping. I found I've needed more and more editors as, we, as we've gone along. Editing now is usually if months instead of weeks. <laughs> yeah, so then Travis, of course, uh, as I said, we work very closely. We often just call and chat with each other. And probably, you know, now he's done over 500 monsters for us in those five books. Wow. And I'd say... Maybe half a dozen times I've had notes for him about maybe we should change something here or there. But we are so in the same wavelength. And even there are a few times where he goes completely off the description. And I'll say, did you read the description? And he's like, oh, I just must have missed that. I, but I think I, I like this better. And um, again, like almost every time... I say, oh, I love what you did. I'm just going to rewrite <laughs> my my idea. Yeah, he's just so creative, adds so much detail. He's always growing as an artist. So you'll notice in this book, he's added more backgrounds to the illustrations with the characters. Mm -hmm. He has different styles that are coming in. And uh, yeah, he's just great to work with. And it's great to work with someone who wants the same end goal. Like we have the same motivation. Yeah. And I just love his take on, you know, by now after working for so long and doing 500 monsters, I, I sort of know how to write the description for him. Mm. And um, I'm in a certain degree, you know, it sort of reminds me what it must've been for JK Rowling with the Harry Potter movies where the movies were coming out and she's still writing the books. I think to yeah. a certain extent, she must have been thinking sometimes cinema, like cinematically. And I think I've heard mm -hmm. her say that. And I feel the same way. Like after doing it for so long, sometimes now I think, what will Travis make of this? Or how could I, what could I change with this creature to make it, you know, more interesting for him or like to go with his style? So that's also part mm -hmm. of the process now. For sure. So I want to ask about the inspiration of of some of these monsters. Like, do you, do you, do you walk through the grocery store and see something and whip out a notebook or your phone and and like take a picture and take down notes? Or is this are these creatures that come out of in the middle of the night? You wake up and you're like, oh my gosh! Like, where? I mean, if if he's drawn five hundred monsters, then that means yeah. you've dreamed up, dreamt up five hundred yeah. monsters. So yeah. where do you get your inspiration from? Well, that's interesting. Like I said, uh, originally, when I was talking to you guys, you know, there's a lot of inspiration from music. Like, obviously, we've talked about David Bowie being a huge inspiration for me. So there's a lot of musical references. Like in this book, there's uh, there's Cherry Bomb. Uh, there's uh, Slim Shady, who um, is a, a gangster. <laughs> There, I saw Thelonious Punk. Yes, oh. exactly. 
felonious punk. Yes. Yeah. And the punk scholars. So there's a lot of music. There's a lot of there's a lot of nature, obviously, which which is why, you know, the Fae has been such a big part of what we've done, either in our books that aren't part of Feyland. Technically, there's a lot of Fae in those books. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of nature references there. You know, some of it is what you said. It's, you know, we'll be driving along in the car and I'll see a street name and I'll go, oh, that's a great name for a creature or a, char- or a character. And I have notebooks in our car. I have notebooks in the family room. I obviously have notebooks here in the office. When we go on holiday, I take my notebook with me. You know, we'll be driving along the road and I'll see an island in the distance with some mist floating over an old house. And I'll think, oh, that's a great like location for Mm. an adventure or a character's home. So there's so many different inspirations. There's wanting to do something different. Like I have halflings in the world of Mir. I have one really evil group who've been corrupted by devils. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I do some of that as well. Yeah, and I have to say too, the the idea of Wimstown was really inspired by George Lucas in the original Star Wars movies when he wanted a place that represented the place where a hero first begins his journey. So usually you're, you start your journey and one of the first places that, first things that happens is you enter a place like Moss Eisley where it's chaotic and you've got all these different directions that you could go. That's basically what Wimstown is. It's like the edge of the wilderness in Feyland. And so that's where all these really crazy characters and in some way more human characters are in the, this Feyland book. Cool. Well, what a fun book. It's, it's fun to look at. But it's also fun to dream out of as well, because you give us lots of things to build off of, from the images to your ideas to your um, adventure starters. You have a huge table of adventure ideas and starters there. Monsters of the Feyland 2. It's available now. Is that correct? Yeah, the PDF is available now. The printed version, I'm going to get the final copy in about two weeks. And then those will go to Kickstarter backers first, and then they'll be publicly available. Yeah. Excellent. Speaking yeah. of, oh, I, I just, <laughs> sorry, I just, I just lost my mind. Kickstarter. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Kickstarter, uh, you have a Kickstarter that will be announced very, very shortly. In fact, by the time this releases, perhaps it will already be out. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Yeah. So the Kickstarter, Kickstarter actually won't launch until probably the middle of next month to the end of next month, somewhere in that two-week period. But we'll announce it uh, any day. So it's going to be the sixth book in the Monster series. We're going to a new location. So no Feyland 2 or City 2. We're going to have a new spot. And we're really going... This one is really going back to the heart of the game. And I think it's an appropriate time to do that. And that was planned before all the current (laughs) roller coaster. And it's really about going back to the origins of the game, what it was like, and a heroic fantasy. It's going to be a little grittier. It's going to have a lot more sort of masculine energy, especially as Feyland, this last Feyland book. This one, I've the last one, I think, was quite light. There's a lot of really interesting feminine characters in Feyland too. The new book will be quite different, mm-hmm. and it'll be... Yeah, very much in the old school sort of mode. And as you as we've talked about, we want to make it for 
D&D for, for Pathfinder and for other systems. Excellent. Well, we look forward to that announcement and for that Kickstarter to go live. Dan, any final thoughts on this? Anything else you want to go into? No, just that I'm just that I will be definitely looking for the announcement because that sounds really exciting. Looking forward to seeing what's Thanks. in that. Yeah, and yeah. we're going to do our divide, you know, we're going to do our different sections again. We're going to have uh, divided up. I think that's it works really well for DMs to have that organized that way instead of having an A to Z monster book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, I I love that layout. Yes, um, it's it's easier to process for a DM. It's quick reference, but also gives ideas of like where where might these creatures and monsters appear in my story if it mm-hmm. fits up with what you've what you've built there. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today on Teachers in the Dungeon. Where can people get in touch with you or your publishing company, Kwood Publishing, and where can they purchase your books? Sure. So our main website is worldofmirror.com and all of our PDFs you can get through there. You can also get our um, books at Drive RPG. And then we're on Twitter at Kwood Publish, Instagram, Kwood Publishing, and then World of Mirror on Facebook. And now we are on YouTube as well under Kwood Publishing. Excellent. And you, you are a part of a podcast as well. Yes. Yeah. Our YouTube channel has the Two Wizards and a Mic podcast. That's with uh, one of the players in my regular groups. Yeah, we have a lot of fun. If there's anybody I could have chosen to do that with, it would have been uh, Shane. So I feel really lucky that that he uh, that he uh, agreed to do that. It's really a, a, just a conversation that we sit down and have. And I didn't really think there was a lot like that for D&D. And uh, yeah, we, ha- we really enjoy that. Fantastic. Encourage people to uh, check that out. Well, I think that brings us to a close for Teachers in the Dungeon uh, this week. Everyone, thank you for joining us. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us and giving us your thoughts on the OGL debate that's been ongoing, as well as sharing your work with us today on this show, but also sharing your creativity and your work to the whole community through your books and your world. Well, everybody, thank you so much for joining us on Teachers in the Dungeon. I'm Tom Gross with Dan Ream. And until next time, keep rolling those 20s. So long, folks. That wraps up today's session. So thank you for listening to Teachers in the Dungeon. We appreciate you and your feedback. Until the next time we see you in the dungeon, we hope you roll high on those saving throws. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear what happens in the adventure, subscribe to the podcast. Have questions, thoughts, or ideas? Check the show notes for our website and our contact information. This podcast is not affiliated or endorsed by Wizards of the Coast, Hasbro, or any other third-party Dungeons & Dragons entity. Teachers in the Dungeon is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names and sounds and any other related items are properties of their respective trademarks and or copyright holders in the U.S. or abroad. The official Dungeons & Dragons website can be found at www.dnd.wizards.com.